Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. Today, I'm very excited to have with me Karsten Bush. He's a safety professional with a deep understanding in the of the history of, of safety, which is a big topic we're gonna to talk about today. He's incredibly interested in the development of knowledge when it comes to safety, uh, coming to us from Norway. So he's also being nicknamed the Indiana Jones of safety. And I have to ask you before we get started, how did you get that nickname? Thanks, uh, Eric, for inviting me. And uh, well, f- fun question. Uh, and it originated uh, from a Dutch uh, safety professional who uh, sadly died a a couple of years ago, uh, Roland Bakker. He used to work for Shell. And um, while I was doing my uh, master's thesis at Lund uh, University and was uh, diving really deep into the the early writings, uh, safety writings from the early 20th century and so on, I discovered many uh, very interesting quotes, Uh, either they they were funny from today's uh, point of view or uh, that they were quite amazing that you you would say, Mm -hmm. uh, wow, this could be written in 2020 and no one would be surprised that they were quite ahead of their time already then. So I shared those uh, clips and and at some point uh, Roland uh, said, well, you, you're truly uh, doing archaeology here. Uh, you, you are the Indiana Jones of safety. And, well, <laughs> I, I love most of the movies. So I thought, well, that, that's a cool tagline to have on LinkedIn. So I kept it. Definitely it is. Uh, so, so tell me a little bit about the early history of safety, because now we, we speak about safety on a regular basis. But there was a point in time where people didn't talk about safety. So tell me a little bit about some of the origins of how safety came to to be part of running an effective workplace. Yeah, Um, and it's quite fascinating to dive into the subject. Uh, Safety has always been uh, uh, something people cared about, of course. Uh, Mm. Even if you look in the Old Testament, there there are some safety rules there about uh, building uh, some kind of a railing on your roof so people wouldn't fall down and you would get a lot of guilt, uh, guilt on your head uh, and so on. And, and the Babylonians had some safety rules, but um, I think safety as a profession, then we go back to the late 19th century. Uh, the, well, the, the Industrial Revolution was, uh, was really going and a lot of changes in society, new risks and and so on, and and people uh, started getting interested in uh, what can we do uh, because they saw uh, bad working conditions, they saw people getting hurt, people died, and um, what what I 
would like to focus a bit about, because this is a very mm. broad subject, of course, is uh, the, the understanding of how, especially for uh, America, uh, insurance played a big role. Because mm -hmm. uh, from today's point of view, a lot of people say, oh, uh, uh, all the early safety work was done uh, by, uh, well, people from insurance. And they did this with a, a monetary uh, goal uh, to, to make money for their uh, companies, which, of course, is uh, true because insurance companies uh, exist to make money for, well, stakeholders. Um, but the, but the early motives of safety, I would say it started first uh, with, with some social outcry that people were really shocked to see how situations changed and workers, the, the circumstances and high fatality numbers uh, running in the thousands uh, for railways, for example, which, which is totally mm -hmm. uh, unbelievable from today's uh, point of view. Uh, mining, which was a very uh, yeah. dangerous, uh, still is a very dangerous uh, occupation, but then, well, mine explosions and, and hundreds of uh, fatalities, and, and people reacted on that. So you had this social uh, uh, part, but the social part was not enough. Um, uh, that there came some regulation, but very slowly, especially in, uh, in America. Mm -hmm. Europe was a bit more regulation-minded. And, and then you had, of course, the humanitarian uh, aspect that some uh, employers uh, well realized they had to uh, do something because they had a duty of care for the people. But uh, the, the, the real game-changer uh, was uh, financial. Uh, when uh, worker compensation laws entered the game, uh, they, they changed the, the whole scenery because before workers' compensation, uh, the, the cost of accidents was for the employee. If you got an accident, mm -hmm. you couldn't work, you were home and, well, you didn't eat, basically. Um, and your employer would get someone else and, uh, well, m maybe you could come back uh, when you were well again. Sure. Uh, you could sue your employer, but chances that you won were very low. And especially if there was the slightest hint of uh, some responsibility on your part, like you had done something you probably shouldn't have done, sure. which there almost always was, and then you had no chance at all uh, to win. And even if you won, you, probably all the money would go to your lawyer anyway. So uh, cost for accidents was basically uh, for the employee and uh, investing in safety in, in the early or in the, in the, in the early days of safety uh, didn't uh, pay. Then com came workers' compensation and, and that changed the whole uh, game because all of a sudden uh, the cost of uh, accidents was for the employer because uh, sure. the employer had to, to pay you when you uh, got, uh, got uh, injured and you couldn't work, you still uh, were paid, uh, medical costs uh, were uh, paid, and so on. And so employers started to buy insurance uh, against this kind of stuff. And there comes the important role of insurance in early safety in 
because it was uh, especially insurance firms who had a, a big safety staff, which they would lend out uh, to uh, uh, employers, to company mm -hmm. owners, uh, to do inspections, uh, make recommendations. And then uh, if you followed the recommendations, you might get a lower premium. So sure. uh, safety suddenly uh, paid back. And and that was uh, what I think uh, really set in motion uh, early uh, early safety, and it's interesting uh, then to see uh, that uh, also I, I study a lot of the work of uh, Heinrich Herbert William Heinrich, one of safety pioneers. Uh, the, his breakthrough uh, team was financial. What what made him a name was, and we've probably all heard it, uh, uh, and it wasn't his discovery at all. Uh, what he did was study it in a more systematic way, add some numbers to it, and then it got a lot of credibility. And people said, "Wow!" Uh, for every accident, uh, there there is a direct cost, like the medical care, and and you have to pay the, the uh, injured uh, employee, and you have to get a uh, replacement, and so on. But there is also a lot of hidden cost that you don't sure. see, like production stops and there's disturbance and people talk about it and you have to investigate and blah 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 all that and then uh, Heinrich found that there is at, at the time for his data set uh, approximately one to four ratio and then people started well uh, safety pays even more so if you sure. invest and then that was a big driver for uh, early safety and not just that. I think uh, there was also a lucky timing. There had been World War One, when efficiency mm -hmm. uh, was uh, highly uh, recommended because you wanted to produce to to win that war. Um, and and mm -hmm. there was of course uh, the the Great Depression, uh, which made it also very uh, lucrative to uh, be safe. Uh, because uh, that that helped you to uh, well to to be competitive, and mm -hmm. I, I read a quite interesting article uh, which which stated that uh, the Great Depression uh, was actually very beneficial for safety, because all the um, workplaces or not all but many workplaces uh, which had bad facilities and a bad maintenance machinery and so on, they went bankrupt. Uh, they, they just went out of service and they were never used again. So people uh, started with, well, bad, better uh, stuff uh, after the, the Great Depression. I, th I think that, that there was a, and, and I backed it up with numbers. So I thought that that was quite unexpected, actually, hmm. because uh, I think uh, from our uh, experience, we often see that things go bad. We have to uh, do things uh, cheaper. Uh, where, where can we uh, save costs, do a bit less maintenance, do a bit less training, sure. and, and it's not good for safety. No, no, it's not. So, so from there, I think one of the things that really struck me when we spoke uh, earlier is really the evolution of systems thinking and where it came about, because it's, it's often associated with a modern view of safety. Uh, but what you were describing that is in many cases, systems thinking there were early elements very early on. Yeah. Uh, what I said, I uh, shared a lot of those uh, early uh, insights 
and and I won't wouldn't say that it was uh, really system thinking yet, but okay. you see early seeds of um, stuff where people probably weren't quite ready for, mm-hmm. so to speak. Uh, but but you see insights which you just can copy uh, now to uh, the two thousands and say. Oh, this is what what we are dealing with now, or that's what what people with a newer view like Holnagel or uh, Decker or and so on uh, are saying. But you you find similar stuff already in in the nineteen twenties. So the new view of safety is not new. <laughs> the new view of safety is 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 a different new one, yeah. I think. Uh, I would say uh, Heinrich. Um, and, and his contemporaries, they, they were a new view at the time mm-hmm. that they revolutionized quite a bit. Uh, you, you had the first wave of safety uh, pioneers, and I, I won't bother you with the names because nobody <laughs> knows them anyway, but uh, they, they were very focused on, on machinery and guarding and that kind of stuff. Sure. Very basic safety work. There, there were a lot of uh, low-hanging fruits at the time. Yeah, of course. And you see that the first safety books around 1900 till, uh, say, the First World War, they were very much uh, how to uh, create safer, safer workplaces by uh, illumination, by guarding, ventilation, and, and a bit of organization too, but very little. And then uh, in, in the mid-20s, there were some safety think- thinkers like uh, Louis uh, de Blois, uh, first uh, vice president safety of, of uh, uh, DuPont, the big chemical uh, firm, who ra- wrote a groundbreaking book. And Heinrich drew a lot on, on that work. And uh, especially Heinrich uh, uh, produced a more management-oriented uh, framework so not only the uh, how to guard machinery, but also mm-hmm. how to build an organization, how to learn from accidents, how to better investigate accidents, uh, to approach uh, safety in a more scientific way, so to speak, fact-based sure. uh, way. Look, looking at what is actually happening and where should we focus, and then not just well have a blanket approach. So that that's uh, that was really a new view at the time, and mm-hmm. now looking back uh, eighty years later, we say, well, that's just traditional safety. We've been doing that for decades. So now we knew, need something new, and uh, we uh, shouldn't just uh, focus on what is going back bad. We also need to focus on stuff that's going right, and and especially at normal work. Mm-hmm. And then you look back uh, in in the, in the old books, and and you find already nudges uh, of that, which which is is quite fascinating. I, I have a very cool quote here, mm-hmm. which I would like uh, to read to you, and it's by a guy with an interesting name of Albert Wirtz Whitney, and he was quite a hotshot in insurance, as most safety pioneers at the time. And I think this is from uh, something he wrote in nineteen. 19- 21, and he called it, this was his philosophy of safety. And I quote now, life is intrinsically dangerous. Life is partly routine to be sure, but more fundamentally, it's an experience of the unknown and hence based on adventure. It's 
quite fascinating. Hmm. Uh, 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 he stresses it that unknown uncertainty, which is only in, in recent years getting the role in, in risk uh, through ISO yep. 31000. But he stresses already uh, the uncertainty uh, here. And then I find it fascinating that he says, uh, well, life is based on adventure. And that's, that's cool. It's risk-seeking. Mm-hmm. So he, he goes on. Uh, he says uh, the prime quality and safety, therefore, is not the removal of danger, but it's the improvement of the quality of adventure. And I think that's wow. Hmm. This is what's 1921, and and this guy is saying uh, safety isn't about uh, prevention. Safety is about uh, uh, having better adventures, which hmm. I think that's absolutely in sync with uh, with the resilience engineering uh, thinking that uh, speaks of uh, uh, we uh, well we need to prevent of course and, and reduce the risk and control hazards and all that but especially uh, we need to be better at handling variability which uh, well very well resonates in my head with uh, having adventures better adventures Yes, to succeed better, and I think that's that's such a lovely quote. And and this guy was very much into um, uh, getting safety into education. I think, if I understand well, he has been very important uh, to to having uh, well safety, uh, getting a role in in American schools, and and afterwards uh, a creation of safety courses on university too. But that systems view might have been discussed, um, but in terms of it starting to be operationalized, it's definitely a newer function. Yeah, it's it has taken uh, many many decades, I think, to mature that this this is broader recognized mm-hmm. because you find those uh, nuggets. But safety culture, the same. Uh, Dublin, the the guy I discussed uh, earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, in in his book he discusses what we would uh, now describe as uh, safety culture, but he uses a different term, safety atmosphere, um, and and he has a definition that that is quite. Uh, I think it's very usable because mm-hmm. he speaks of some some invisible force that affects uh, even people who are uh, entirely new in the company, which is what. Culture, culture does or is yep we won't get into that uh, discussion now but uh, it would take until the the late 70s that uh, that culture as such entered the uh, safety discourse this episode of the safety guru podcast is brought to you by propolo consulting the leading safety and safety culture advisory firm. Whether you are looking to assess your safety culture, develop strategies to level up your safety performance, introduce human performance capabilities, re-energize your BBS program, enhance supervisory safety capabilities, or introduce unique safety leadership training and talent solutions, Propolo has you covered. Visit us at propolo.com. So, so you touched on earlier Heinrich. Um, yeah. Let's revisit Heinrich because he's often quoted with the pyramid, uh, which is now disputed. 
Um, but it, the, the pyramid is not, as you described it to me, is not quite what was it intended to be. Tell me a little bit more about Heinrich and the pyramid and, and some of those elements. Yeah, firstly, um, I, I never speak of Heinrich and the pyramid because Heinrich uh, never drew a 3D uh, shape, which is a pyramid. The pyramid is uh, three-dimensional. Yeah. Heinrich made a triangle. <laughs> uh, and, and it was only Bird who well made a fancier uh, picture. But th there, there are a lot of misunderstandings. I, I think it's, it's Heinrich's, uh, at least one of his uh, most famous uh, concepts, but it yep. uh, has started a couple of lives on their own. Mm -hmm. uh, people are treating it, uh, for example, uh, as a kind of a law. Some people uh, still believe, even today, that um, uh, that there is some kind of a, of a natural law uh, dictating that there should be uh, one major uh, or one accident with major consequences, twenty-nine accidents with minor consequences, and three hundred accidents with if uh, no uh, consequences at all. Uh, I, I've actually been in a meeting uh, many mm -hmm. years back now uh, where someone, and we were discussing reporting and under-reporting, and someone stood up and said, well, I'm sure we are having a, a problem with reporting in our company because we don't live up to the, this ratio. And I thought, oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, b because... Uh, if, if you um, study Heinrich's work, you will see that, um, and, and he's quite clear about it. He says often this is an average. And then if mm -hmm. you see how he uh, got to this average, uh, you will see that he uh, studied uh, different kinds of accidents where they then found and estimated uh, the, the ratio for that accident type. So in his book, he has, for example, uh, a case where somebody is cutting wood on uh, on a, a circular saw, mm -hmm. um, and he and he pushes uh, the, the the wood through the saw, and at some point he does it without a well, so a push thingy, and and he cuts his fingers, uh, and and then they they find this this ratio one to something. I don't know by heart. And and then he has another example where he describes uh, someone uh, on a daily basis crossing rail tracks because it's a shorter way to work. Sure. And then he finds, uh, finds a ratio of one severe accident to several thousand uh, incidents uh, without uh, any uh, any injury. And, and so he has a, a couple of uh, various scenarios where he describes. And then you can see uh, that for each scenario, there's a different ratio. And then he averages them up and he finds... Uh, or constructs uh, a very neat number, one twenty nine three hundred, uh, which is a ratio that you won't forget. And mm -hmm. and that that uh, I would say that's a stroke of genius, because he he repeats this number, um, and he anchors in the message that there are few serious accidents, there are more. 
uh, not quite as uh, serious accidents, and there are a lot of near misses in modern language. Sure. He doesn't use uh, the word near miss yet. Uh, he, he speaks of no injury accidents. And then he says, after having anchored in this message, he says, here lies great opportunity. If you recognize that you could have prevented, or if you just recognize you can prevent worse stuff from happening, then you can act proactively. Mm -hmm. And that's his, that's his great gift to safety, I think. This realization, we don't have to operate uh, reactively. Sure. We don't have to wait for someone uh, to uh, be injured. Uh, of course, if somebody gets injured, uh, then there is a greater uh, sense of urgency uh, that we should uh, do something to prevent uh, this from happening and do improvements and so on. But his message was, you don't have to wait until uh, somebody mm. gets hurt. You can actually sure. be observant, see that, oh, ship, uh, sorry. Oops, this could have uh, be uh, much worse. Uh, and, and you can react on it. So his mm -hmm. message was actually one of opportunity and not one of counting, which a lot of people make. A lot of people say it, it's metric. No, it's not. It's just a metaphor for uh, opportunity and proactivity. And and that's that's one of the things that a lot of people regret incredibly uh, get wrong uh, so they start counting and then they mesh all kinds of uh, accidents together a lot of the literature on on the triangle or the pyramid uh, is based on uh, either uh, within a sector or within a country or mm -hmm. if, if you are lucky with it within uh, some kind of process but they don't stick uh, to uh, one specific uh, scenario. Because if, if you want to play with numbers, you have to have it within a scenario, which is very similar, which Heinrich also said, this just works within, he, he calls it a unit group of similar accidents. Mm -hmm. So if you start blending together, and this is one of... Uh, I think Todd Conklin says it a lot. Uh, ankle sprains don't say anything about uh, well blowouts. Of course not, because they're no. two very different uh, types of accidents. Sure. One is not predictive of the other. But yep. uh, slippage uh, may be very well uh, predictive of uh, broken uh, legs and ankle sprains. And bad uh, maintenance or uh, mechanical failures in your blower preventer uh, are probably pretty predictive uh, for uh, the, the well blowout. But don't mix them together. There, there are a lot of misunderstandings uh, that people uh, focus too much on the numbers and, and the correctness or applicability of, of the ratios, which are totally irrelevant because they're just an illustration. Uh, people think that uh, uh, it's predictive. If you have had uh, 299 and near misses, then uh, probably next is up, uh, which which is quite foolish, actually. And, and Heinrich himself said, uh, well, it, it may be uh, uh, also the first where, where it, you get hit. It's sure. 
there, there is a factor of randomness there. And, and one of the main mistakes is that people don't stick within the, the scenario. Uh, the, the predictive element, if there is one, is only within uh, the uh, one scenario. And I think the other piece I've seen is a lot of organizations start relying on that pyramid or the triangle, as you mentioned, and, and start thinking that if I focus on very small injuries, that I'm going to reduce serious injuries and fatalities. So they'll focus on the same amount of, atten of attention on a first aid or on a bee sting or a slip trip or fall versus the, the elements that will drive a serious injury and fatality are probably quite different. And so that's where I think there's been more recently a, a shift of thinking and, and realization that it's a subset of those that, that can drive to serious injuries. Yeah, yeah, that definitely. Uh, that there isn't one pyramid uh, un unless you want to calculate uh, the average which is mm -hmm. fun to do maybe for safety nerds, but it's of no practical value. Uh, right. You have to see uh, the pyramid or your pyramid uh, as a huge stack of different pyramids. You have a slip through and fall pyramid, you have a well blowout uh, pyramid, you have a, a paper cut in the copy room uh, pyramid. Sure. Which which probably has a crazy uh, ratio of uh, one to a trillion or something, but... And, and then you, you have pyramids, which aren't pyramids at all. Uh, I've uh, worked for 20 years uh, in, in railways. And I used uh, earlier this example that Heinrich mentions of, of somebody getting hit by a train. Um, there isn't probably a, a pyramid shape there. It's probably some kind of a, a hourglass shaped where you have uh, fatalities at the top than... Uh, mm. Uh, almost no uh, minor injuries because if you get hit sure. by a train, you typically uh, uh, either it's a near miss, which there are a lot of, or you are probably quite damaged. But there's not a lot of first aid in those cases. So it, it's it's big on the top and it's big at the bottom and then nothing in the middle. Uh, so that's the hourglass. Sure. I'd love to pivot to James Reason and the Swiss cheese model uh, and love to hear some of your perspective from a historical standpoint. James Reason has, uh, is one of the other uh, safety authors who has a really brilliant metaphor that, that anchors in. You see it, and uh, I think most people can intuitively uh, connect to it and make sense of it and then give their own interpretation of it. And that's what, what we, for example, have seen in, in I don't know if you've seen them, uh, uh, Eric, but uh, I got quite fed up uh, during COVID times. Uh, uh, all the pictures shared of uh, these uh, COVID uh, protection uh, Swiss cheeses where you had 17 layers stacked up and then people, uh, well, having some kind of a story around it. And I, I think it's it's quite interesting to to reflect a bit on uh, how how does this happen because the these COVID uh, Swiss cheeses I think they stray quite uh, far from reasons idea mm. and and I think there there are true three main categories uh, of, of why people are getting uh, models uh, wrong. The, the first is they just don't know better. 
Sure. And and for whatever reason, uh, and then we, we can talk an hour about this, I guess. But um, I think hearsay and uh, is is one big factor. You you've had a course and somebody uh, told you his interpretation of of Swiss cheese, and then you pick up uh, some parts. And, and then we basically go to the second reason. You start making your own interpretations. And I think that that's a quite powerful one. Um, uh, and, and it's for the better and worse. Let, let's just be clear about that. Because if you see this picture, um, a couple of barriers with holes in them. And if something goes through the holes, uh, then uh, things uh, have gone very wrong and you have an accident. Uh, that, that makes immediate sense, I think, to a lot of people. And especially the, the, the lot of mm. barriers make, uh, make a lot of uh, sense to uh, many people. And, and then I start... Uh, uh, ignoring uh, probably they don't even know uh, that, uh, that, uh, that the message of James Reason was much more complex than just the picture because uh, the, the picture comes with a lot of text and a lot of explanation mm-hmm. and, and uh, pathogens and uh, complex systems and uh, organizational factors and human factors and you name it uh, people just see the picture and I think, well, how can I use this in, in my situation? And then they start, uh, well, just take the picture, uh, give their own twist, and that's all there is to them. And then there's a third group um, that are the people um, uh, that have motives of their own mm-hmm. by interpreting a, a model their own way. In um, the Swiss cheese model has gotten a lot of bad rep uh, in latter years from especially, uh, uh, let's call them a new view uh, safety thinkers who, who call it a linear model, uh, w- which I would say that that's not correct at all. Um, the, the picture looks linear because you have all these slices stacked after each sure. other. Um, but the picture isn't all there is. Mm-hmm. If you read the text and then go back as far as, as the first uh, presentation in 1990 in, in Human Error, the, the book by James Reason, mm-hmm. and, and you read the text uh, that comes with uh, uh, then then he says quite interesting stuff like uh, uh, the, the, the holes in, in the barriers, they're not uh, static. They're moving around. Uh, they, they open up and they close, uh, so they, they change shape uh, and so forth. So the model is not linear at all. The model is uh, quite dynamic, even though the picture looks uh, sure. uh, very uh, very uh, linear. So I think uh, some people uh, also give a twist to models to make their own uh, message uh, look better. Right. Like you come down with a with a uh, different model, and I won't uh, name any, but uh, which which perhaps uh, <laughs> uh, takes better care of the of the systemic uh, factors, and then there are models mm-hmm. that do that quite well. And if you contrast it then to uh, 
Heinrich's Dominoes or the, the Swiss cheese, which look very uh, linear, then your model probably looks better. And, and there, there more, may even be, a, let me say, a pedagogical uh, angle to it that you, you stress the linear uh, uh, aspects of the, of the Swiss cheese to communicate better uh, about uh, the systemic uh, approaches. True. Yeah, so that's just some quick reflections um, based on, on the Swiss cheese and then how people uh, give their own uh, well, uh, twist to it. And, and one mm -hmm. thing I would like to stress uh, and something we perhaps need to work on is uh, I started by saying a lot of people don't know better. Mm -hmm. I've been on the courts or they've been seen a presentation where somebody had 15 seconds to say something about the picture on the slide behind him. Uh, so uh, you, you get this quick uh, explanation of uh, the Swiss cheese and you think, well, this is a quite knowledgeable guy uh, standing there. Uh, he explained this and then this is all there is. And, and mm, we're right. not typically trained to ask critical questions and then go back and literate, uh, read the literature and study it. And, and, and we probably don't have time either, a lot of us. Sure. So that's, but 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 you may uh, end up with a with a, a model that well, doesn't quite uh, do what you what it, what actually should be doing. So thank you, Karsten. You've shared a lot of of background history from from the early days of safety to some early thinking around the broader systems view around safety to revisiting Heinrich and Swiss cheese model. But I think there's an important lesson in what you're talking about in terms of models. And at the end of the day, the model is there to share an idea and a concept. Um, and, and, and I think that's the important element of the model as opposed to thinking it's pure and true and depicts everything. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that's a, that's a good summary. Models are always a simplification of something, of course. Mm -hmm. And we have to understand the limits uh, of, of that simplification and, and the limits of the model. And we need to ask a bit more often probably, for firstly, uh, is that what the model was designed for? Uh, and then we, we can, of course, use it for other stuff. That, that may be actually beneficial uh, because innovation builds on that. Uh, but uh, it, it's wise to check, uh, is this actually what the model was meant to say? Sure. Because uh, the Swiss cheese is not about 17 layers. 17 layers may actually be uh, unsafer than 10 layers because new layers uh, introduce new complexity and um, side effects and so on. So go back to the source and well, ask critical question at least once in every while. So that's, I think that's important. Yeah. So thank you very much, Karsten, for joining us. If somebody wants to read more, hear more, uh, how can they get in touch with you? Well, I have a website, www.mindtherisk.com.
and there's probably a contact somewhere there and you can find me on LinkedIn relatively active there so just reach out and connect excellent as the Indiana Jones of safety thank you Thank you for listening to The Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Elevate your safety. Like every successful athlete, top leaders continuously invest in their safety leadership with an expert coach to boost safety performance. Begin your journey at execsafetycoach.com. Come back in two weeks for the next episode with your host, Eric Makrowski. This podcast is powered by Propolo Consulting.